Thank you for joining us for GB Bites, the inaugural uh, GB Recruitment Podcast. Um, today I'm joined by Kate van der Slaus of H- uh, Humber HR People. Morning. Um, between us, we've got around 40 years experience in uh, recruitment, sales, business development, uh, mindset, and we've really been doing a lot within GB Recruitment over the last 12 months uh, to go through a better working environment and, and what to engage with people more. And I thought it'd be good to to really put a podcast together and go through what our experiences have been, good and bad. Um, take away some, because uh, there have been some bad ones, funnily enough. Um, take away some sort of golden nuggets of, of some of the stuff we've, we've done well, some of the do's and don'ts, and really look at how GB recruitment have embraced a couple of things and what Kate's looked at from other companies that she's worked with through the Humber area as well and, and sort of improved their um, sort of working environment and stuff like that. So um, me and Kate know each other really well. Um, we put the world to rights on a daily basis. So if we start sort of going off on a tangent, I apologise straight away. So <laughs> how are you, Kate? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I'm, I was a bit blown over to be asked to do this because... Um, we've already touched on imposter syndrome this morning. I'm sure it's going to come up in our conversation. So I'm, I'm wondering what it is I've got to say, but I'm going to do my best to share some stuff. Um, but it's it's the area that, as you know, I feel the most passionate about, personally and professionally, about um, you know being being good at what you do and feeling that you're good at what you do and, and enjoying what you do as well. So yeah, all good. And I think that's that's the main thing for me is is enjoying what you do. Yeah. And and working in an environment where you're able to enjoy what you do. Oh, that, it makes sense. You know, what I don't want to do is, is disappear up um, in this conversation to some sort of fluffy, um, well-being, you know, holistic, yoga-taking, even though I might be all those things as well. But in this conversation, I think it's really important that uh, well-being is linked to productivity. If people are happy at work, they do a great job. It's quid pro quo. It's the same thing. And lots of reports have said that, um, and all the reports that I'm obsessed with, like McLeod and, and ACAS now with their seven levers of productivity. So I think talking about what makes people tick and talking about what makes people work well is commercially really important. Yeah. Because business is more successful yeah. if people get and enjoy what they do. Yeah. I, I've been an advocate over the years of when I'm employing recruiters, as you know, I, I only look for trainee recruiters um, when we're employing them and I train them myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've said on a number of occasions, I can teach anybody to recruit, but I can't teach them to want yeah, the to recruit. And it's, it's all the, the skill and the will argument. You can you can teach anybody the skill, but you can't teach somebody the will to do it. No, and I think if you if you engage straight away, yeah. then people want to do it, and, and it's half the battle won then. Yeah. I think that's where um, we talk a lot about management behaviours and what good management looks like. But you know what it is? It's just being human. Mm. Um, and that idea, without it being glib or false, of saying, how are you? Yeah. How's your day going? How was your weekend? Or better still, how was your son's rugby match? Because I remember you told me about it. Yeah. It's that stuff. Yeah. You start with that. And it's no, you know, I'm a big fan of keeping things simple. I'm a, I'm a fairly simple person. Um, but but we, we forget we're human. And humans like to interact. And most people come to work because they like to work with other people. Otherwise, they would work by themselves. So that stuff, I think, gets lost sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it does. And I think, I, I mean, obviously, some of the industries that we work with within sort of software development and obviously yourself within HR and, yeah. and all that type of stuff, it's quite easy to see people as cogs in a machine sometimes. And yeah. 
the dreaded human resources. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, it's not, we're not resources, we're people, are we? So, um, and that's what's happened, of course. Human resources is now being rebranded as people because mm. that's really what it's all about. Um, so there, there was a, a, a thing I was reading last night with uh, about Jack Welch. Jack Welch died yesterday, unfortunately, 84. This is the guy who used to run GE Motors. Yeah. He was the king of downsizing, um, also the king of capitalism, and in some eyes a great guy, and in others not so great. Um, but in any case, he talked a lot about um, corporate resources instead of HR. And I think that's probably true. I think if, if you take human resources in its truest form, it's just talking about another corporate resource that's there to be used. Yeah. But actually, we're not corporate resources. <laughs> we use people. Yeah. <laughs> that choose yeah. to come to work every day. And, and that's, that's half the battle is when someone wants to come to work and wants to do well and is given the environment to yeah. grow and to sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. to flourish um i mean obviously we we've, we've spoken a lot in in the past about toxic cultures yes and, and all that type of stuff so so for you then what what is a toxic culture what what would you if you walked into a business somewhere and you, yeah. you sort of spotted it from day one what are the the sort of key mistakes that people make in creating a toxic because a lot of people don't know they're doing it yeah a lot of the time and it just sort of happens and then yeah and that's the thing no, you're completely right. And I, I think actually there probably isn't a business in the world that's created, you know, a toxic mm. culture. Nobody wants to get to that place. Um, what do we see? So what are the what are the telltale signs? The telltale signs are usually people working in silos. Um, lack of communication across an organisation, across teams and yeah. between people, yeah. definitely. Um, an atmosphere that's quite prickly. You know when you walk into a room, you can just feel it, can't you? Just a bit, ooh. Um, Usually there's quite a lot of resentment, frustration within individuals, but there's no real airing of that or getting to the bottom of why people might feel that way. So that festers like a bad apple yeah. and gets worse and worse. Um, and then the telltale signs off the back of that culture will be things like staff turnover, um, presenteeism sometimes, some people work harder um, and just do more and more hours, you know, and sort of become quite martyrish in their behaviour been there myself yeah um, <laughs> you know i think we all yeah we've all been there um uh, but definitely you start to see attrition you start to see productivity go down you probably start to see some customer dissatisfaction as well there's just a whole bunch of um outcomes from 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 that culture that sits there but i think fundamentally you said something just then that, that i think is really important and that's that most people most employees don't come to work to do a bad job Mm. it's not in their interest to the contract we have as employees is that we turn up and we do okay or in most cases hopefully a bit better than okay we do well and in return we get paid mm. and that's the deal right that's yeah. why that's why we signed on the right line that's why we accepted the job so if you come from the premise that employees have choice because we're at full employment so most people can choose where they work so if you come from the premise that the person has chosen to work with you and therefore they've chosen to want to do a decent job because they want to get paid then actually everything else flows from there. Yeah. Now, it's, if you start to believe otherwise, if you start to believe that actually that person hasn't chosen or you've backed them into a corner or you start to exploit an individual, then that fundamental kind of promise that you've made to each other, that's broken, isn't it? Yeah, and I think from that you get two reactions, don't you? You get fight or flight yeah. and someone will then fight you every two for nail, every step of the way or, like you say, they'll leave yeah. and then that's... 
and you just go always, around and around in circles. It's then. not always conscious, is it? I've worked yeah. with people that um, on the surface will say, um, yes, I'm okay, I'm fine, we love fine, don't yeah. I'm fine at work, I, I'm enjoying it, it's okay, you know, all those, all those sorts of words. But actually, it doesn't take long to dig under the surface that staff do for them to have one drink or to take them outside <laughs> of the normal environment and someone will go, actually, I'm not fine. Yeah. And let me tell what I really think. Yeah. And, and those are the conversations, aren't they? And that's when you know that something, somewhere, has gone wrong. Yeah. But if you come as a, as a manager or as a leader or, or even as just somebody who's within a business from the premise that most people want to do well, yeah. then actually your mindset shifts around management, doesn't it? Yeah. So... so would, would you sort of say that, that that mindset needs to start from the top then and putting faith in in people rather than sort of presuming that people will sort of not do the job if they're not inspected on what they're doing and giving trust to employees and, and empowering people? Yeah, of course. We're, we're shifting away. It's the 21st century. We're not the 20th century anymore. We're not... Um, I would like to think we're not in a space where most adults need a parent. <laughs> most yeah. adults, you would hope, are yeah. adults, and therefore at work, we need to treat them like adults. Um, and you and I talked before about having kids and about that parental yeah. thing. But actually, it's exhausting, isn't it? Yeah. The only good thing about being a parent of a young child is that that young child eventually grows up and becomes older, <laughs> and you yeah. don't have to parent as much. Well, from what I've heard, it gets worse when they get older, yeah. and more expensive, apparently. <laughs> oh, really? But, okay. yeah. um, but no, yeah, you're right, and I think... Sort of, I look back from when I first started my career, not just in, in recruitment, but in sales. Yeah. And it was always sort of presumed if somebody wasn't performing, yeah. then they're not trying. Yeah. And and that's that's obviously not the case a lot of the time. A lot of the time it's yeah. maybe one little thing that needs tweaking or one little sentence that needs sorting out. Yeah. And I think for me that that's been the interesting thing that I've noticed throughout the industry change. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's the right in most, in most other industries. It's more around sort of not the underlying performance of people anymore, it's around why yeah. and it's that about, is the way it is. And those tweaks are important, aren't they? We, what we're talking about is creating habits, and we're creating positive habits that, that, that lead to an outcome that's desired, whether that be um, uh, you know, a sale or a deal or, or a, a construction project or the outcome of a project between people, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, and the key is tweaks, because the old-fashioned view, I suppose, would be you go on a training course, so when I first started out in um, in the recruitment industry, I was sent to St Albans. I've never been to St Albans before. I'm not going back. <laughs> Sorry if you're from St Albans. Was it that good? Yeah, it was that good. <laughs> um, you know, but I was sent to St Albans. I was there for a week. It was like an immersive week. Um, yeah. I mean, I learned the history of the company I worked for. I knew the founder's name, yeah. you know, by the time I left. Um, but it was an immersive week. And then that, that was it. Off you go. Back into the office. You have now learned everything well done. You've got 93% on your endpoint assessment. Therefore, you now know how to do this role. Yeah. And the, the worry that I have a little bit is that organisations still think like that. Yeah. That we've got like this induction or training manual or process yeah. or something. And once you've got through that, that's it. Yeah. Off you go. But we know humans don't learn. No, yeah. And I think, but I think, I think you learn more from experience than you do sort of sitting in an exam. And it's like... Yeah. I mean, I, I make no secrets for anybody that I, I was rubbish at school. I, I left school with next to no qualifications. The only reason I got my qualifications is the army made me do them. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done them. Yeah. But I've made a success of the skills I've got yeah. by putting them into recruitment, but learning over the last X amount of years of don't do that, do do that, spend time on doing that. But it's, 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 like, it's like your driving test. Everybody yeah. always says you learn how to drive yes. after you pass your test. True. 
So Absolutely true. It's, yeah, I think I think that is the patient side of it as well. And I think I'd argue that about management too. And I think that's what makes you a good manager. Whether you think you're a good manager or not, I think you're. I just make it up as I go along. I told you that this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but that because you've learned through trial and error, and because you've learned through experience, it's become embedded. It's not like a book that you read that you forget. Yeah. It's become embedded over time through trial and error, making mistakes, and I've made lots of mistakes. Um, you you learn that when you touch that thing, it's hot. It's the fundamental. That's how we learn. Yeah. And the opposite happened. I suppose my experience with school was out of the school swap. So <laughs> I learned how to do exams. Yeah. So I'm good at exams, and I yeah. can pass them, and I can pass them fairly well. That does not mean I've learned anything. Just to be clear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you You've learned what something does. Ah. Uh-huh. I've and learned the to remember some it. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. For a little while. Yeah. And I learned how to write the answers in a way that meant the examiner gave me a high mark. Yeah. Did it actually embed any real learning? By the age of twenty one when I graduated, you know, half decent degree and all that stuff, and people say, Well, I think you've done well. Did I actually learn much? Obviously, no. But again, that, that for me comes from engagement as well. And if you're engaged yeah. and interested in wanting to do something, yes. you're gonna work hard at doing it. Yeah. I wasn't engaged in learning what Pythagoras' theorem was when I was at school. <laughs> no. And I, I was actually sat there thinking, how is this going to help me Absolutely. when I leave school? So yeah. I was interested in was kicking a football around, yeah. which yeah. is why the only GCSE I got when I left school was an A-star in PE, because that's, that's all I was interested in. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's the proof's in the pudding, isn't it? As you say, if you're passionate about something, if you're interested in it, it doesn't take an exam for you to learn that, because it's your passion anyway. Um, and it's, it's one of the questions we use a lot Obviously, you and I have done over the years. I don't know how many interviews we've done between Thousands. us. It's a scary amount of interviews, yeah. isn't it? Um, but I was thinking about what are the interview questions that kind of really um, show you who somebody is in front of you. And it ain't about what they did at school, and it definitely isn't about you know what grades they got. The one that the one that I've always liked is what. How do you continue your own learning in this space? Yeah. You're telling me you are a brilliant accountant. Great. So please, can you just tell me how you keep up to date with? with accountancy trends and technologies because that's where you know whether it's someone's passion or not yeah i don't really care what the answer is um and i think it's the same true in any walk of life isn't it yeah so, so if if you obviously we know how to sort of spot that now then yeah. and, and and sort of we know what a toxic culture is yes what what would be your sort of top tips for maybe that someone that's that's managing a team at the moment yeah that, isn't performing for I'm not just talking from a sales background, I'm talking from a productivity background, yes. anything to do with sort of well, anything really. What what would your top tips be to sort of get that team re engaged and, and igniting the fires in the belly? Yeah. I think the hardest the first tip is the hardest thing to do, which is step back. Because the temptation is to try and fix stuff. You know, to try and have that difficult conversation with that person who's underperforming or try and fix a process or whatever it might be that you think is the reason why it's underperforming. The first thing I think is it's really important just to step back, and probably for a period of a good couple of days, and really think and analyse in your own mind, where did this come from? Where did the underperformance stem from? Have we got the wrong people in the wrong seats? Is there a history, often there's a history, and often it's usually quite personal, yeah. about somebody's been promoted over someone else, yeah. or someone hasn't been promoted when they thought they were going to be, or yeah. someone's come into a team fundamentally right for the business. There'll be something, there's always, a, you know, somewhere under that, that bridge, something's happened. So I think the first thing is just to step back and do your best to analyse it, and if you can't do that because you're too far in it, then I think you need someone else. And it, that doesn't, it doesn't really matter if you've got someone in the business. I think you need to sit and really try and get to the bottom of it and dig quite deep and go, right, okay, 
putting myself in those people's shoes, how does it look and feel, and why does it look and feel that way? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think for me, the the hardest thing to do sometimes is look inwards. Yeah, and and maybe think, hold on a minute, is it me that's Oops, I'm yeah, Patsy. Yeah, is, uh, <laughs> yeah. is it is it generally me that's caused this or, yeah. or or whatever? And I think that yeah, the, the hardest thing to do is self analyze. Yeah, and and hold I think, the mirror up. Yeah. looking at and it's horrible isn't it it's, yeah. it's painful and you don't want to look and you definitely don't want to admit and then you feel guilt and then you feel you know massive imposter syndrome comes back and, yeah. and all those things but the bravest and the boldest thing to do to fix the toxic culture is to do that first yeah um, and if you need to use a tool to do it if it's a disc or if it's a you know an analysis or a personality profile or whatever or if you just need to ask someone you trust to go how do you think I come across to other people you know, do you think I would be an effective manager if I was working with you? Mm. And if you don't, can I ask why? Yeah. And you've got to really listen, and it's really hard. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> we've we've been on that journey already once this year. Yeah. Um, and and I took a lot from it, to be fair, and I took a hell of a lot from doing the disc. Yeah. And percent. I mean, I when I did mine, I, I was very much sort of when I looked at my disc report, I was like, yeah, that's spot on, that's me. And I think you've got a problem when you get that back, and it's not you and that's when you've got to start thinking oh on a second yeah is, is am i the problem yeah, how do people definitely. perceive me and i think yeah. when it comes to to being in a top we've all been there we've yeah. all been under pressure we've yeah. all got things that we need to be hitting and we've all got whether it be sales targets yeah. production targets deadlines and i think sometimes people's true colors come out when they're under pressure oh without a doubt so we talk about shadow behaviors don't we you know, yeah the idea of an extreme version of yourself, like a comedy clown version of yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's what happens, isn't it? Because it's human nature. We all do it, and we do it at home. I'm not the only woman in the world, I'm sure, to, you know, lose it when I'm tired, 12-hour working day, kids are playing up, witching hour. The worst of you comes out. Yeah. Um, and it happens, and it's human nature. And I think forgiveness of yourself is a big deal in that space. I think it's okay to go, you know what, you're human, and it happens, and you ain't a robot. And the reason you're a good manager is because you're not a robot, yeah. actually. So it goes hand in hand. You can't yeah. be one without the other. So, yeah, but it is, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. It's, to be a manager in any environment, hard because the, the problem you've got is, is you're personally accountable for somebody else. Yes. And, and that's the hard bit. I think the biggest thing that I've learned in the last five years, since I stepped from being sort of... Jack the Lad recruiter banging in thousands doing of pounds worth of deals a month doing yeah. the job and stuff is yeah. I need to put more trust in people yeah. and in my team yeah. and that's something we've discussed a lot and I think yeah. the reason GB is doing so well yeah. team wise at the moment is because I've got time to come down here and do stuff like this podcast for you yeah. Yeah. I've got time to be doing marketing stuff and entering awards and all the rest yes. of it that we're yeah. doing yeah. And, and the team are still performing because you trust them to perform when you're not there yeah and I think you've got to be brave enough yes. to make yourself redundant yeah sometimes and you've got to want to do it as well it is a conscious decision I think to move into that management space not just because of the job title or the money or any of those things but because the job is fundamentally different um, and there's a saying that um, management's the only job you're ever promoted into for being good at something else yeah so most managers are technical experts yeah. or engineering experts yeah. or recruitment experts it doesn't matter and then because we're good at that it's we make an assumption that yeah. we can teach other people, mentor other people, and move into that. But you have to make a conscious decision to want to do it, yeah, and to step away from the job that you were in. And it's like going back to school, isn't it? You know, yeah. when you're sort of at primary school and you, you know, 
the, the top kid, you're, you're, the, you're the king of the school, yeah. you know, and then you go to, to secondary school and all of a sudden you're the youngest in the yeah. school. You're the smallest there. You're the smallest there and it's yeah. like that transition, isn't it? It's yeah. the same thing and you've got to be prepared to be the smallest again and go, oh no, yeah. I've got to do it all again. Yeah, and all, all this obviously fits into the well-being of everybody that you work with and, and avoiding that culture and making sure that you are the linchpin of this is what's expected, but this is the support you're going to get. Yeah, without a doubt. And it's about guidance. And if we move away from this paternalistic management, it isn't about input. Because yeah. when I was in the, you know, first, again, I, from, from, from my training, I went straight into this office environment and I was given some, um, some activity targets. That's the very first thing, KPIs, KPIs, KPIs. Um, but what we're measuring when we use KPIs is input and output. And then we go back to this flexibility piece. Now, if we measure output, and give people the support to develop their own KPIs, their own activities, and give them the tools and the encouragement. And often it's just encouragement, isn't it? Yeah. It's keep going one step at a time. You're going. You're doing the right stuff. All of those empathetic, emotionally intelligent, you know, supportive stuff. Yeah. Especially at the beginning. Especially at the beginning, because once someone's proved it to themselves, they'll be able to do that some of that internally. Yeah. But when they haven't proved it to themselves, they need that external voice that says, "Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going." Yeah. Um, but what I don't think any culture needs is a massive paternalistic you must do this you must do you should do I, don't, I just don't think yeah, in an adult to no, yeah. adult relationship it's just not the language is it yeah because you won't respond to it I won't respond to that and I don't think any birds else would so yeah I think you're right a lot of the things that we need to do there avoiding the toxic culture is is treating people like they're adults and having the trust of yeah. I employ you to do a job. I'm going to trust you to do that job. I'm going to treat you as treat you as an adult as such. Yes. To do that job, and, and that and that's it. And I think you're right, but I think that comes with accountability. If you yeah. treat someone as an adult and they step over that boundary yeah. and they start not behaving like an adult, then our job is to call that out. Yeah. And go just a minute. I was treating like an adult, and now you're not behaving like that because you're not taking responsibility. Yeah. Or, or whatever it might be. So I'm not saying again to go back to that thing. I'm not being overly fluffy here. You know, all I'm saying is if you treat someone like an adult. And they behave in that space, then that's that. That's the simplest thing in the world. I think we were talking about it earlier. Obviously, I know we do this a lot. We put the world to rights <laughs> on a daily basis. That um, it's like again going back to when you're parenting. Yes. If you're constantly screaming and shouting, yeah, it completely loses yeah its effects because all people will think is they're off again. Yeah. Um, and they'll just think that's that's sort of the norm. Yeah. But if you're not constantly screaming and shouting, and then all of a sudden it's hold on a minute, you're taking the Mickey, yeah, and there's a bit more pushback there. It comes as bit, it's, it's, it has more of an effect, yeah, than if you're not like that. Absolutely. And I think the first thing, like you say, the first thing to do is make sure you've got buy in, yeah, people want to work for you and yes. not have a toxic culture, yeah. But there's also consequences to actions in any any walk of life, of course, there is the consequences on a football team, a rugby team, you know, if you're part of a performance on a stage. You have a role to play, and everyone understands what that role is. And if you don't play that role in any environment, it's absolutely right that other people around you call you out. And I think, and I think that's that's the main thing is a part of avoiding a toxic culture as well. Is is if everyone's clear on what their role is, and everyone knows what their deliverables are and yes. what's expected of them from day one. Yes. And they're hitting those deliverables. And they're consistent. And they're consistently doing yeah, it. Absolutely. Then. Your management style becomes consistent. The culture becomes consistent. Yeah, what People I meant by consistency there. Yeah, what I meant by consistency is that those goals. Um, I suppose going back to your original question, one of the things in a toxic culture that 
one of the other commonest things we see is um, a lack of clarity at the top. And it's usually because the person at the top hasn't got their own plan. Yeah. So um, we work with a lot of owner-managed businesses, a lot of businesses who've been in the same family or the same, certainly under the same ownership for 20 plus years. And of course it's done its job and they might play a lot of golf now and all those sorts of things are happening. But actually there's no clear exit plan. There mm. is no succession. Yeah. And because there's no plan at the top, there's no plan for anybody else. So then there's no clarity. So yeah. now no one knows what they're doing. So it's, it's a whole world of chaos. Yeah, and everyone's running around unsure of what's going on uh-huh. and spending more time thinking about yeah. what might happen yes. rather than what is happening. Yeah, yeah. Or, or actually what's my job. Yeah, yeah. And, and that happens, I think that happens more often than we probably give it credit for. Yeah. And, and one of the things I see in uh, the bigger the business, the more structured it is, but the more successful the business, the clearer the communication is and yeah. the clearer the goals are. Yeah. Um, and if you walk into a really successful business, you know, because if you ask somebody, what's the goal for this year, most people can articulate that yeah. and tell you in yeah. some version or another. I'd be quite confident in saying what's the goal for this year to my guys now and they'd all know what yeah. what the target as a team is, yes. what the personal targets are, yeah. what the daily targets are. Yeah. And that's and like it might be within a larger organisation that somebody would only know their smaller part to play. They'll understand they have a part to play, but they'll only know what their particular objectives are. But that's okay. It doesn't matter because yeah. it's the old analogy of the, the lady sweeping the floor, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that, that what you... Uh, forgive me, I don't know which um, president it was. It might have been Barack Obama or someone similar. It certainly suits his style to walk into a NASA and say to somebody who's sweeping the corridor in a jamster's outfit, what is it you do here? And that yeah. person saying, I help put people on the moon. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's, yeah, it's true. It's definitely it's true. true. Yeah, it's, we need more of that. <clears throat> everyone, everyone should know what their parts play and what, their, what, what yeah. part of the machine they work and, and, and that type of stuff. Because otherwise, what's you, you don't know why you're doing it then. And when you start asking yourself why you're doing things... Yeah. You're not going to be engaged in doing Well, no, because half your brain's going to be working out why you're doing what you're doing, isn't yeah. it? So, because that's what, again, that's what we do. But the lovely thing and the amazing thing that I've seen happen with your team in particular, but with others as well, is once that's clear, you create a space to have a load of bloody fun at work. <laughs> yeah. Because if everybody knows where they're going, and we can all repeat where we're going, and I know my role, you know your role, and we know we're going to call each other out, actually, what's really nice then is it's kind of a, a, a virtual circle. Yeah. It creates its own space, and because I don't now need to worry about where I'm going, when I'm going, and when I'm doing it, actually, I've got fun to be creative, and I've got I've got time to have a bit of fun, and I've got time to, you know, go out and do the things that you've just mentioned, and go out for lunch with the team, and all those things, because everything else is taken care of. Yeah. So, actually, it just makes work a nicer place to be and you spend more time at work than you do at home if it's a fun and happy place to be you're going to want to do it and i think like you say but as long as it's clear what you're accountable for yeah. and you've got accountability i mean a lot of the times in in sort of good cultures people don't have a blame culture yeah. if something doesn't get hit yeah or something doesn't happen yeah in a good culture people are happy enough to hold the hands up and go, look, I've dropped the ball there and I've let the team down. Yeah, and they're brave enough to do that and take yeah. take responsibility. I think when you get a blame culture, yeah. that's part of a toxic culture as well. You're going, well, Definitely. he said he should be doing that and they should be doing that. It's, it's not it's my fault. fault. It's, it's not my fault. Yeah. And it, it's, it's one of them. But sort of coming back to that then, when I, if, so you get to the point where you've got a good team. You get yeah. to the point where your culture's spot on. Yeah. <laughs> when... You're, well, it's not always going to be spot on, but you, you're doing well and, and all yeah, the rest of it. That virtual circle's happening, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and everyone's going out and, and yeah. everyone's happy and knows what the role is. When you're hiring to add to that team then, yeah. what would yeah. be more important to you, culture, yeah. fit, or skills? No-brainer. No-brainer, culture all day long. 
Okay. All day long. You can teach skills, of course you can. But you, what you can't teach is attitude, work ethic, um, drive. And if those are things that you're looking for, and you don't always have to look for those, you yeah. know, but if those are things that you're looking for, you can't teach them. Um, there's some really interesting stuff, isn't there, around blind recruitment now, so not using CVs at all. Um, you know how passionate I am about, um, about diversity and about inclusion. Yeah. Um, and I think we just need to, if we start to think that you hire a brain, not a person, it doesn't matter what container the brain comes in. Yeah. All right. So the attitude in the brain is what I need. I don't care what it looks like, what it sounds like. It doesn't matter to me. Um, because the rest I can train. I can train presentation skills. I can train technical skills. I can train knowledge. All of that. But if someone's not interested, I'm going nowhere. Yeah. So if you, I mean, obviously I work in a very technical yeah. side of recruitment um, and, and recruiting staff and stuff like that. So yes. you're one of my clients now and, and you've got a really technical role. Yes. You've got somebody who is like the absolute, so there's two scales of the spectrum. You've got yeah. somebody who is, which which we know sometimes happens, you've got somebody who's technically absolutely awesome, yeah. best person you've ever seen in your life, yeah. Yeah. but doesn't quite fit into your culture. Yeah. And you've got somebody that isn't as good technically, yeah. maybe sort of needs about 18 months worth of work yeah. to get to this point, yeah. but absolutely encompasses your cult is the epitome of what your culture has become yeah, yeah, yeah. which one would you choose so you're now going to expect me to say the one that fits the culture all day long right yes i'm not i'm going to talk to you like a business owner <laughs> yeah so let me let me explain where I'm, where I'm coming from with this um if my need is to complete a technical project yeah it needs to be done within a time scale i've yeah. got something i'm developing and it has to be beta tested and out the door by september yeah I'm actually going to go with the guy who doesn't fit my culture. Right. And I'm going to put him on a fixed term contract and I'm going to accept that it's going to be a bit of a prickly, spiky relationship, but it'll probably eat the work. Yeah. Yeah? Because realistically, I'm in a business. I'm not a charity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. At yeah. some point, I've got to get stuff out the door and I've got to get things achieved. Yeah. That said, if that deadline wasn't there and I didn't have, I had a bit more luxury of time, then of course I'm going to go with the other person. Because you're talking about sustainability versus short term fix. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. And sometimes it's right to go with a short-term fix. Yeah. Sometimes. As sometimes. long as you accept that that's what it is. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's right to think you can uh, turn the Titanic. If this person genuinely will never fit with your business, don't try and make them fit. <laughs> <laughs> try and... Yeah, it's ain't going to happen, is it? It's just ain't going to happen. Square pegs in round holes. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I might accept that I'm going to hire a square peg for six months or nine months or for the period of time that it takes mm -hmm. to get stuff done. But actually, yeah, if you want something sustainable, I think the, the, the key as a, as a business owner, really, is to, is to be really quite brave with your decisions. And you've got to be future thinking. Well, fortune favours the brave, doesn't it? And I think, I think if you look at some of the, the huge businesses yeah. across sort of the world, they, they've all gambled at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you've got to hold your nerve. Yeah. You've got to set your path and yeah. then hold your nerve. That's that, and, and do you know what? I mean, I know I'm, I'm not centered this around recruitment purpose of this podcast because you, you could go completely into recruitment yeah. and then obviously that's not what we're trying to, trying to achieve. <laughs> but with, with when I'm training recruitment consultants, which I do a lot of yeah. and I've done quite successfully over the years, yeah. it is about picking a, picking a path, yeah. picking a market yes. and having the belief in yourself yes. that you're going to achieve what you're going to achieve. Absolutely. And I think 
if you're not gonna if you're not gonna back anybody, make sure you back yourself. Yes. And that's coming back to the imposter syndrome stuff yeah. that we've both said we suffer from. <laughs> yeah. And I mean I was saying earlier that we've had a fantastic first first half of the year at GB. Yeah. I've personally had a good first half of the year when it comes to my own billings. But yesterday I sat there and thought someone is going to suss me out at some point and I'm going to figure out I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and even, even down to when I was giving some one of the team advice, yeah. they asked me a question, are we giving them advice? And I just thought, I went, oh, where did that come from? It sounded really good, but I don't know where that came from. <laughs> so yeah, and I think you're right, it is, you've got to be brave as, as a business owner, as, as management. I think it's about and, pushing it to one side. I'm sitting there thinking, what the hell am I doing on the podcast? Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, but at some point, um, it's... it's uh, uh, paralysis by analysis. Yeah, I, I can think that all day long, but yeah. I'm never actually going to do anything. Yeah, and, and sometimes I think there's a definition. John McKay said, you know, the, the courage. The definition of courage is taking action even though you're afraid. Yeah, even though the fear is there anyway. So imposter syndrome is the fear of being found out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fear of someone going, you don't know what you're doing. Who do you think you are? Yeah. You know, all of that stuff. But actually, what's more important than that is having the courage to just keep going regardless mm. and pushing it to one side. And and we were talking earlier about this and, and said about the other uh, the other part of imposter syndrome that, that I think is quite interesting is that actually we're more worried about what other people might think of us yeah. than about what other people are looking for from us. Yeah. So if we put the ego to one side just for a minute, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It's irrelevant. It does not matter. We're here, hopefully, to give some value on the podcast. Yeah. So it's the audience that's important, not me. Yeah. Um, or you or yeah. anything else it's, it's hopefully what people take away from it and the same happens in any situation where that imposter pops up on your shoulder and goes mm, you yeah. know push it away it's not about the ego it's about the we go it's about the people in the room um, as, as a very wise guy said to me and, and all of this stuff is stuff that I've learned none of it's you know original material this is all just stuff that's stuck and helped over the years and I keep going back to it in my own mind so so to sort of finish up then yeah because um, we could go on for hours and we, we generally do um, and to sort of finish up then what, what would your top tips be for somebody first of all somebody that's first starting out in their career as a more senior person a manager or starting a new business around culture Yeah. and what would your top tips be to avoid the pitfalls of what you've seen from other businesses that you've helped? Okay. So... Tough question, that one. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but it is a summary of everything we've just talked about. So I think you've got to understand who you are, why you're doing what you're doing, what your values, what makes you tick, what you're good at and what you're not so good at, what's the stuff where you probably need some support and what's the stuff that you'll absolutely fly. And, and if you know yourself and you know some of that stuff, I think half the battle's won. Um, because then you can find people who complement your own skills. I think you've got to understand very quickly how you want to behave as a as a manager, as a leader, or as a business owner. You have to kind of set out your own stall in your mind and go, I do this sort of stuff. So and I think if you've got that bit, then half the battles, half the battles there. And you can keep referencing back to that. You can keep going back to, oh, I remember what I told myself six months ago, in those times where the investor yeah. picks up and all those things. Um and then just pick up on the, the great stuff you've talked about, you know, pick up on the great stuff about trying to create that virtual circle, pick up on the great stuff about use empathy first, don't use it exclusively, make people accountable, but use empathy first, try and understand where people are coming from, hire the right people, take your time, spend a bit of money, pay the right salaries, hire people that are worth it, aim high, don't aim low, mm. because if you want something to, to uh, be successful 
and to churn out a profit target or, or achieve great things, you can't start out with substandard ingredients. Yeah. You need to aim for the best. Yeah. So, so that's important. Which is all common sense when you think about it, but when you're immersed in yeah. your own bubble... You, like you say, you've got to be able to take a step backwards sometimes you can't and build go. Build an Aston Martin with parts from a Ford Cortina. Although yeah, I quite course. like Ford Cortinas actually, but never well, mind. But the point is, you know, if you're going to aim for something good, then you've got to set out with that mindset. Yeah. From the beginning. Brilliant. Well, thank you for taking the time to come and talk to me today. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, I know. Um, I know. I was a bit apprehensive about it, as was I. But there we go. That that was GB Bikes, our first podcast. I hope you enjoy it. We're going to be doing it every month with different guests. Um, so we're going to have people from the world of human resources, the world of tech, a couple of our clients coming on and talking about their growth culture and, and startup culture and all that type of stuff as well, as well as sort of pitfalls they've found over the years around sort of not just recruitment, but managing teams and mindsets and stuff. So hope you enjoyed it. Um, we'll be sort of back next month with uh, another, another guest, uh, which will be announced on LinkedIn and Twitter, I believe. So thank you very much.